Good morning. How are y'all today? It is a joy to be with you. Thank you, band. Uh, y'all always lead so well. They do an awesome job. Let's, uh, let's begin our time with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have today to gather and study your word. And God, I thank you so much uh, just that we can do this on a regular basis and that we can learn from your word, that we can see what it has to say, um, even thousands of years after it was written, that it can still apply to our lives today. And Father, we pray that our time this morning will bring you the praise and the glory that you deserve. And God, we just pray that our time today will make much of the name of Christ. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, I know we've got a lot of new faces in the crowd, and uh, we're grateful for that. But let me introduce myself to, just to begin. Uh, my name is Reed, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northside. I've had the incredible privilege of being the Minister of Education and Students here for almost four years now. And I'll just go ahead and let you know I love my job. Uh, these past four years have been an incredible time uh, for our family. And uh, since our arrival in 2011, our love for this church just continues to grow. We fell in, lo- we fell in love with this church in about two seconds. It did not take long uh, just to realize how great of a church family this was. And uh, our love just continues to grow uh, for this faith family. Um, I'll forever be grateful to my search committee and to this church for giving me this opportunity. Um, y'all took a chance on a 26-year-old who was coming straight out of seminary and uh, just anxious uh, to be a part of full-time ministry. So I'll forever be grateful for that. Uh, we came here as brand new parents. Um, now we're a family of five. Uh, Liam, which is our oldest, uh, he was just a few months old when we a few months old when we had arrived and was wearing a, a blue helmet to round out his flat head. I know many of you probably remember that. Now he's uh, he's a big kid getting ready to start preschool. So time has absolutely. Uh, flown. So thank you, church, for being so good to our family. Listen, I just want to go ahead and let you know I absolutely uh, love every opportunity that I have at this church, whether it's the opportunity to oversee our student ministry every week, uh, which is a true joy, uh, whether it's the over- opportunity to oversee our discipleship ministry, and especially for opportunities um, like the one I have today to preach God's Word. I'll just tell you, selfishly, I love doing this. I think it's just a lot of fun to stand before you and share God's Word. It's just a lot of fun to, to work on a sermon, to put it together, and then to stand before you and share it. So, uh, listen, if you're one of our guests today, let me go ahead and let you know I'm not the main teaching pastor. I'm just one of the associate pastors here. Uh, pastor Scott, who's our lead pastor, is actually down in Florida with his extended family today. Uh, his grandmother passed away this last week, and he's going to be preaching her funeral uh, tomorrow. So y'all just be sure to keep um, him and his family um, in your prayers during this time. I'm sure that they would be uh, very grateful for that. Well, uh, well, let's go ahead and get started. I know that Scott has been leading our church through the book of Matthew for quite some time now. And, uh, and I know he's taken kind of a short break from that to do a, a mini-series called God at Work. And we've been looking at different passages in Ephesians. And uh, I don't want to interfere with his teaching plans. Uh, so today we're actually going to be in the book of Luke. Uh, but before we, uh, before we jump into the Word, I've just got a simple question for you. Have you ever put something down and just lost it? Just left it behind, you don't know where it is, or maybe you just completely misplaced something. I'm seeing people looking around, giving elbows. Apparently this happens often. This has happened in our house before. Have you ever lost your keys? That'll really slow you down, won't it? You got somewhere important to be, you've woken up early, you've taken a shower, you've gotten dressed, you got all your important stuff that you need for this big meeting, you're about to walk out the door, and you're like, where's my keys? What just happened? Where are my keys? And you start freaking out, and now you're late. I think we've all been there. What about your cell phone? Have you ever lost your cell phone? 
Now, I don't know about y'all, but uh, for me, and my wife will get onto it, she'll testify, I'm on my phone all the time. It, it drives her crazy. And uh, listen, when, I, you know, when you misplace your cell phone, um, your heart kind of stops for a second because like your whole world is on your phone now, right? Like you can keep up with your family and friends, pay your bills, handle things for work, even study God's word. I mean, our, our phones are amazing and they cost a lot of money too. So when you lose one, it's like a terrible day. Uh, what about money? Have you ever lost money? That right there will just like really eat at you. You've worked so hard to earn it. Now you have no idea where it is. Did you leave it at the restaurant? Is it in your car? Did you leave it at home? Maybe it fell out of your pocket when you pulled out your phone to send a text, make a phone call. Maybe you're one of those people that like to hide your money and uh, maybe you've hidden it so well that like you can't even remember where it is and like three years from now you'll be cleaning out a closet and you'll come across like $500 cash and it'll be like the greatest day ever. But until then, you're like distraught because you're like, what did I do with that cash? Listen, cell phone, keys, money, these can all be replaced. Let's take it a step further. Have you ever lost track of a child? And I promise this has not happened, so before you freak out, but have you, ever, have you ever lost track of one of your children? Maybe you're at Target, maybe you're at the grocery store, you spend like two seconds looking at something, and then you turn around and your kid is gone. And you start saying their name, you start looking for them, they're like nowhere to be found. I was just talking with Susan Holden about this, this happened to her uh, this last week, and uh, she was just telling me how scary of a moment that was, and her kids are, you know, a little older, but it still freaked her out. And I think we've all kind of experienced that before, that's kind of, that's kind of a scary moment. Let's take it even a step further. Have you ever lost a loved one? I think we all have. I think we know the pain that comes from that loss. Uh, like we just said, Pastor Scott's actually dealing with that right now down in Tampa with his extended family. So the details might be different. I know some situations are maybe more tragic than others, but I think we all know the pain that comes from losing either a family member or a friend. And this morning... We're going to take a look at a passage about a woman who just experienced a significant loss. This particular passage is one that, if we're honest, just often gets overlooked. It just doesn't get the same attention uh, that other passages get. It's not told as often as stories like, you know, Noah and the Ark, Moses in the Red Sea, David and Goliath, the story of Job. We could go on and on. We know our favorite stories. We know the ones that we're really familiar with. This is probably not one of those passages for you. This is probably one that when you're reading God's word, you just kind of read right through it and you're like, okay, and you just keep going and it doesn't really stand out. It's not really one that necessarily grabs your attention. But listen, I want to tell you that today it should. And I'm going to hopefully help you see the value in this passage. There's so much good stuff in here. And so today, the passage that we're looking at is going to be one that will hopefully bring you hope, one that will bring you confidence. One that will uh, hopefully just excite you because of what it reveals about our Savior. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 7. Uh, today we're going to take a look at a story uh, where Jesus comes across a funeral procession. And uh, again, what hopefully takes place today in our time is that this is something that just really gets you excited. There's a woman who has dealt with a significant loss. And we're going to see how, kind of how this plays out today. So today we're going to be reading Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning, so if you have an iPhone or an iPad, go ahead and set your translation to the NIV so that our, our versions match, or if you've got a physical copy of God's Word and it's not the NIV, it'll be close. 
Um, and if you don't have a Bible at all, feel free to grab the Pew Bible that is in front of you. Uh, we should be on page 730. And listen, if you don't have a Bible at all, just please take that Pew Bible home with you. I promise you uh, we are not going to accuse you of stealing. If you do that, uh, that is a gift from our church to your family. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody has access to God's Word. There's just no excuse for it these days anymore. We will be more than glad to buy new Bibles if it means your family having one. So feel free to, uh, to take that home with you today. All right, well, let me read our passage for us, and then we can break it down and discuss it. This is Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the bier, or the coffin, whichever version you have. It might say something different right there, but touched the coffin that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. In your handout, you've got a, a very simple outline for today's uh, message. Let me encourage you to grab that. And uh, we're going to affirm three important truths today uh, during our time. And the first point that I want you guys to go ahead and write down is that Jesus wants to bring life to the dead. Jesus wants to bring life to the dead. All right. Let's break this down together. I want to begin back at verse 11. It starts off with soon afterwards. So obviously we're picking up in the middle of a story here. So why is the soon afterwards there? Well, let me give you just a little bit of context to kind of help you understand where we're coming from in this story so that you can kind of, kind of have all those details there, just give you some of the context. Jesus has just finished his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we, we did a whole time on that when Scott was still at that part in the series on Matthew, so I'm sure you're all very familiar with what that was all about. So we're kind of coming off the heels of that, so we're, we're done now with the Sermon on the Mount. And as we see in our passage for today, a large crowd is now with Jesus. Now, there's a few reasons why people are following Jesus at this point. Uh, we got a little bit of, of, uh, of Scripture that kind of gives us just some insight into that. Um, in the book of Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, we see that some people are following Jesus just because they really enjoy his teaching. Just listen to Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. When, Je when Jesus had finished saying these things, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now let me ask you, have you ever just sat through like a terrible sermon before? Like, I think we all know, hopefully today's not one of those, um, you know, I, I think that we all know what that's like, what that's like just to be in the crowd and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, you know, dang preacher, that one just didn't really do it for me. You know, I guess maybe you just didn't prepare enough, pastor, or maybe he just keeps saying the same thing over and over and over again just to fill his time. Or maybe he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. No, I'm just kidding. So, but listen, so we've all been there, right? We've been in the crowd before when a, when a pastor gets up and maybe just doesn't really deliver a strong sermon. But things were different with Jesus. Scripture says that when he talked, that when he spoke, he spoke with authority and that his message had power. This is what we're seeing. But there were others in the crowd as well. 
and they were there for a different reason. At this point, uh, Jesus has already started his ministry. He's already started performing a few miracles. Jesus has already turned water into wine at a, at a wedding. That, that'll make him popular right there. Like immediately people are like, hey, who's this guy, right? Um, he's already started healing people who are sick. Disabled people are now able to walk. So without a doubt, there's some people who are just kind of hanging close to Jesus just because they're like, hey, let's see what he's going to do next. Um, you know, clearly he's doing some pretty cool stuff. Let's follow this guy and see kind of what happens. There's other people who also are just trying to get in on the action. Do you remember that one woman who worked her way through the crowd and uh, just so that she could have the opportunity to touch the edge of Jesus's clothes? And right when she did, scripture says that she was healed. So we got a couple of different kinds of people in the crowd. Um, but hopefully this kind of helps you understand kind of the context of what's taking place. And uh, let's, let's continue reading. We're, and we're now in Luke chapter 7, verse 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. All right, so they're in this town now called Nain. And a widow has lost her only son. Now, let's pay attention to the details that Luke gave us right here. Like, he was very intentional with what he told us. He told us that this woman is a widow, which means that she has already experienced one major loss. She's already experienced the loss of her husband. So, at this time in history, you have to know that um, being a widow is a, is a major disadvantage. Like, her losing her husband is a significant loss. It's not like in today's culture where women have the same opportunities that men have. Like, in America in 2015, women can go to school, and they can get a great education, and they can enter the workforce, and they can get a good job, and they can make great money, and many women do. Like, this doesn't shock us anymore when we find out that a wife makes more than her husband. Like, this is, this is a normal thing in our culture, in our society. Like, we're just kind of used to this. Um, at this time in history, though, uh, this was not the case. Like, women did not have these same opportunities. They didn't have these same abilities to go out and take care of themselves the same way that men did. So a woman who has now uh, lost her husband is at a tremendous disadvantage. This is why we see in Scripture that the church actually had to step up and take care of widows. Uh, take a look at James chapter 1, verse 27. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In the book of Acts, uh, we actually see that this is why deacons were established. If you're a deacon in the room today, then pay attention to this. Listen to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what takes place. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, these are the Greek Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, these are the Hebrew Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there's this daily distribution of food going on. So like food is being handed out to the widows. And you've got Greek widows complaining against the Hebrew widows because it's not being handed out in maybe the same proportion or fairly. And so they bring this obviously to the people kind of in charge at this moment. So the 12, talking about the disciples here, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. In other words, the, di the disciples are like, listen, we're busy. We don't have time to handle this. We're over here trying to preach God's word and to share the gospel with people. And you guys are complaining because you didn't get enough bread. You know, like we need, some, we need somebody who's going to help us out here because this is taking up way too much of our time. We have other things to worry about. So verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. All right, so you have to understand that in our passage today, this woman was already in bad shape. Like the best thing that she could have probably hoped for would be to have a son. Like that would be the best case scenario because now someone in her family who's able to go out and get a good job and make money and support her would now be there to do that. And that still doesn't even guarantee that she's going to be taken care of properly because he might have a family of his own and now that maybe puts him in a position where he can't take, of his, take care of his mother very well. But we don't know. I mean, the scripture doesn't actually tell us whether or not he has a family, but it's at least a possibility. So best case scenario is that she has a son and it still doesn't even guarantee. But now she's lost her son. So she's lost her husband and now she's lost her son and now she's in the middle of this funeral procession And Jesus arrives. Perfect timing. This is uh, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. All right, so when Jesus comes across this funeral procession, we see that his heart breaks for this woman. He understands her situation. He understands that, like, this is bad. This is not good for her. Like, she was already disadvantaged because of her situation with her husband being gone. It's now even worse for her. And so with love, he tells her, don't cry, because he wants to do something about it. And as we've just affirmed in our first point, Jesus wants to bring life to the dead. But you know, listen, it is one thing to want to bring life to the dead. It is a completely different thing to have the ability to do so. And this is your second point. Jesus can bring life to the dead. And listen, write that in all caps. Like, this is something um, that we should celebrate, right? Like, Jesus can bring life to the dead. Listen to verses uh, 14 and 15. Then he went up and he touched the coffin that they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. All right, really cool part of the story right here. Let's talk about it for just uh, one minute. Let's make sure we understand kind of what's taking place. In order for us to completely understand what's going on right here in the situation, you cannot think of a coffin like what we have here in America. Like this is, this is not the best way for us to understand kind of this funeral procession. And like we discussed earlier, his mom's a, a widow, which means that their family just does not have a lot of money. Uh, there's uh, most likely there's a great chance that he's actually being taken outside of the city um, to an area where they bury poor people. Like that's probably his situation. And if this is a case that we know from cultural history that his body has probably been wrapped up in some sort of cloth and he's probably laying on some sort of stretcher. So it's not like a closed casket. It's more like he probably looks more like a mummy laying up on a stretcher as they're carrying him to the grave. Now, again, I recognize that those details are not specifically given to us in Scripture, uh, but we can make a fairly educated guess that that's probably the situation based solely on the fact that his mom is a widow. Like, that's most likely the scenario. And what Jesus did here is very interesting. Like, you have to remember that Jesus is a rabbi. It was absolutely unheard of for a rabbi to touch a dead body or even a stretcher that the dead body was being carried on because uh, the Old Testament explains that it makes you ceremonially unclean. Listen to Numbers chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, It says, "...whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days." So a normal religious leader wouldn't even be near this dead body. As this funeral procession is going on, a normal, normal religious leader is going to keep their distance. Like they might meet with the family later, 
but they're definitely not going to be right there with the body, and they for sure are not going to put their hand up on the stretcher. Like, that is not going to happen. But we know that Jesus is not a normal religious leader. Like, we know that, right? Because we can read God's Word, and we see just moment after moment in Scripture where he kind of does things that's different than everybody else. And so this is one of those moments. He puts his hand up on the stretcher, does his deal, and he does this because he wants the world to see a glimpse of the things to come. He wanted to show people that he has the power to bring the dead to life. So he stops his funeral procession, he puts his hand on the side of the stretcher, and he speaks life into this young man. Now listen, you have to understand that when he did this, like this is big. Now, if, if when he spoke, you know, young man, I say to you, get up. Like if the dead body would have remained dead, you do realize that his ministry would have ended right there. Like scripture has already told us that there's a large crowd with Jesus. There's a large crowd with this funeral procession. So there are people everywhere. And so if Jesus would have spoken life into this person and life did not happen, like if all of a sudden the the dead body is just still dead, uh, it would have taken about half a second for word to spread that Jesus does not have power over death and his miracle failed. But that's not what happens. He tells the son to get up and the son gets up. Listen to verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. It's not just an amazing picture of the gospel. Again, pay attention to the details that Luke gave us right here. Like, he didn't have to give us the details that he gave us, but he did. And he tells us that this widow's son was an only son. Like, he didn't have to share that with us, but he wanted us to know that because he wanted us to see how it relates to Christ. An only son has died and has been brought back to life. Like, does this maybe sound like another story that you're familiar with? Like, does this maybe sound like something that we talk about all the time. And like that's intentional because um, it's a foretaste of what the world is going to see with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is using this opportunity to preach the gospel. He knew that this story would be read for thousands of years, just like we are doing today, and that it would be a picture of the gospel. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verses 16 and 17. They were all filled with awe. And praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. All right, third point. We must share this good news. We must share this good news. All right, so people are excited. They've just seen a dead person come back to life. Like, no doubt about it, if that happened today, right in front of our eyes, we'd freak out. Like, we wouldn't even know what to do. We wouldn't even know if what we saw was what we saw, and we would probably be quick to think it was some sort of, like, magic trick. Like, just imagine for a moment that you were there, and you actually got to witness this miracle firsthand. Like, your mind would be blown. Like, this is kind of like on the same level as being there in the desert, uh, being chased by the Egyptians, and all of a sudden the Red Sea gets opened for you to walk through on dry ground. Like, this is something that just doesn't happen all the time. It's not like you're there, and, ah, that's cool, Jesus. I've seen you raise somebody to life before. I was there like two days ago, and you did it before, and the time before, and the time. Like, no, like, this is, this is unique. Like, this is a big deal. This got people uh, very excited. But there's another reason uh, why people 
are so excited. And I want you to look again at verses 16 through 17. See if you catch it right here. They were all filled with awe and praise. God, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Did you see who they're talking about? It says in verse 17 that the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Not the news about the young man. Did you see that? A dead person was just brought back to life. And that is not who they are talking about. Scripture says they are talking about Jesus. Why is that? Why are they going around talking about Jesus and not talking about their friend who was dead, wrapped up, laying on a stretcher, and on his way to the grave and now alive. Well, let me, let me try to give you some insight into that. Let me see if I can help you understand. Prior to John the Baptist and Jesus showing up on the scene, God had been silent for about 400 years. There had been no God-ordained written word, no prophets, and no prophecies. Silence. And how do we know this? Because we know the date of the book of the last, or the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, we know the date for Malachi, which is around 400 to 450 B.C., uh, listen to how the book of Malachi ends. This is, uh, this is the very end of the Old Testament. It says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And that reference right there talking about I will send the prophet Elijah is a reference to John the Baptist. So the last word that we have from God in the Old Testament is saying that a prophet like Elijah is going to come and he's going to turn the hearts of the people and then there is silence for 400 years. Like, like 400 years is a long time. Like do y'all realize that our country is only 238 years old? Like, we, you feel like America's been around forever, right? It's 238 years old. Like, if we were to go back 400 years from today, it'd be the year 1615. Like, let me, let me tell you what's taking place 400 years ago so you can kind of understand kind of how far we've come just in the last 400 years. Galileo had just seen the moons of Jupiter for the very first time through his telescope. Like, we're talking about we're still figuring out our solar system 400 years ago. The King James Bible was just published in England four years prior. So 1611. The Protestant Reformation is still going strong. you got Protestants and Catholics fighting each other in religious wars. Like, still going on. That's what's taking place 400 years ago. Like, that's a long time. And although God had not gone anywhere, it wasn't like he was just absent, but he was silent. This is what we see. But the people, they had read the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. They knew that God was going to send a Savior. And they were waiting for his arrival. And then John the Baptist showed up on the scene. And he started saying stuff like that he was there to prepare the way for the Lord. And in their mind, they started thinking, wait a second. That kind of sounds like Old Testament stuff. Wait a second. I remember how the book of Malachi ends. Like... There's going to be a prophet that's going to come and going to be preparing the way for the Lord. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. 
And people really start paying attention because they're like, wait a second. So we got John the Baptist and now we got Jesus and Jesus has started his ministry and he's preaching and he's performing miracles and all this amazing things happening. And they begin asking themselves, is this the one? Is Jesus the one that scripture has been talking about? Is Jesus the one that God has promised to us? And through this miracle that we've studied this morning, Jesus is telling everyone, yes, I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the Son of God who has come to bring life to the dead. That's why the people were going around talking about Jesus and not talking about their friend who had just been raised. Like they're excited because God has broken his silence. Listen how Eugene Peterson puts it in his interpretation when he wrote the message. Listen, I recognize this is uh, just a paraphrase. I know this is not an official translation of God's word. Y'all don't have to send me hate mail or you know later or whatever. Just it's it's a great way though of still seeing um, this story. This is Luke chapter seven, eleven through seventeen in the message. It's a paraphrase. Not long after that, Jesus went to the village Nain. His disciples were with him along with quite a large crowd. As they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial, and the mother was a widow. When Jesus saw her, his heart broke. And he said to her, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin. The pallbearers stopped. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead son sat up and began talking. Jesus presented him to his mother. They all realized they were in a place of holy mystery, that God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back looking to the needs of his people. God is back. Can you imagine the joy of the people during this time as God began revealing all the things that had been prophesied right there in front of their eyes? Jesus was there. So listen, if you're in this room and you're a believer, you too have the responsibility to share this good news. Just like the people did in Luke 7, like the news about Jesus must be told. How can we who trust in Christ be silent when we know that our God saves? How can we be silent when we know that Jesus Christ can bring life? However, many people in this room and just across our country have just become bored with this story. And I I don't mean this story. I mean like bored with the Bible. Like we've heard so many sermons that like we've become disinterested with God's word. Like it just doesn't excite us anymore. And as a result, we just don't even talk about it. We're definitely not sharing this with our friends. Each one of us have people in our lives that need to hear the gospel. Each one of us. God and his sovereignty has placed people in your life that are dead that need life. It's people that you work with. It's people that you hang out with. People that you go to school with. It's your neighbors. It might even be people in your family. Don't be silent. Jesus can bring life. And listen, to the unbelievers in the room today, to the people who have never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, let let, let me try to help you understand the gospel as simply as I can. The saving message of Jesus Christ is not about making you a better person. It's not. Jesus did not come and die on a cross so that you can live your best life now, Joel Osteen. Like, that's not the gospel. It's not about behavior modification. It is about heart transformation. 
So I want to be very clear about this. It's not that you are bad and need to become good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you are dead and you need to be alive. That's the gospel. Like, I don't know if I can say that any more clearly. It's not about making you good. The gospel is about making you alive. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of this air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserve it. We've earned it. It's ours. By nature deserving of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He didn't make us good. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen, I want to share one more verse with you before we close. John chapter 10, 10. And it starts like this. It starts like this. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And if you're an unbeliever in this room, you need to understand that Satan has a plan for your life. And his plan is to kill you. His plan is to bury you. Like we've just read about in Luke chapter 7, his plan is to put you in the ground. But the verse doesn't end there. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come, this is Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So listen, if you've never put your faith in Christ before, that's where it begins today. It's not about you becoming a good person. It's not about, you know, man, I guess I should stop cussing. Or I guess I should stop whatever. No, like you need to be alive. You are dead. And scripture says that you need to be alive. So we wrap up our time this morning. I want us to remember um, the three things that we've seen in our passage. Jesus wants to bring life to the dead. Jesus can bring life to the dead. And we must share this good news. Listen, maybe today... You're like the young man being carried out on the stretcher to your grave. Maybe you're dead, and maybe you need life. And if that's the case, listen, my encouragement to you is don't wait any longer. Let today be the day that you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness of your sins that has been made available through Christ and receive life. Maybe today you are already a believer. But maybe God has convicted you, maybe about this last thing that we've been talking about. Point number three, maybe you just don't do a great job of sharing this. Maybe, you've been, maybe you're one of those people that have uh, become disinterested with God's word, and maybe you're just not somebody who talks about it all the time. Listen, if that's you, confess that to the Lord as well, and ask him to give you strength. Ask him to give you boldness. Ask him just to give you a new passion for his word. And when you have those opportunities in front of you, be faithful. Open up your mouth and share the good news about Jesus Christ.
Troy and the worship band are going to come and lead us in a song. You guys can head on up. Listen, I really appreciate um, your time today. I've enjoyed the opportunity to preach. Um, if you want to talk more with a pastor, let me encourage you to find me as soon as our service is over. Uh, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you about what it means for you to receive life. Um, band's going to go ahead and close us out in a song. Again, we appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk with you guys today. Let's all stand and sing.